Welcome to episode 74 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I watched the dark comedy, The Death of Stalin. Christian watched the series Outer Banks, and I'm going to talk a little bit about ballers. But first, Christian, you and I both watched The Death of Stalin. Now, this is by director Armando Iannucci, I think is how you pronounce his name. Good a guess as any. Yeah, and he and it stars main. Well, the two biggest names are Steve Buscemi and Jeffrey Tambor, but there's about seven other people who play somewhat prominent roles in this, but I think those are the two biggest names. Yeah. Did you like this? I did. I, I'd i heard... First, I guess this movie's older than I thought it was. Um, I thought this just came out like a year ago, and I, I remember hearing really good things about it. When it came on Netflix, I was excited, and yeah, it was not what I was expecting, but I did really like it. So I went into this completely blind, except for like the two-sentence blurb Netflix puts on it, so I did not know what to expect. <laughs> and the first thing that struck out to me was, it's called The Death of Stalin, so I assumed they are in, you know, the USSR. Everyone in this has an English or American accent at first, which threw me off for a minute. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it reminded me in that respect a little bit of Chernobyl, which, every, like, most of the prominent people in that had, like, British accents. Right, and so I... It threw me off at first. I think at the end, though, I appreciated it because it would it make sense, I guess, for Russian people to have Russian American accents. I guess it doesn't <laughs> matter, but it's one of those things where I, I, it makes sense when I thought about it, but definitely threw me off at first. Yeah, yeah, it I was definitely a choice, but I, I agree that I do think it was the right choice. Yeah. Okay, so this movie is ba- primarily about uh, the last hours of Stalin's life and then the subsequent three, four day uh, period of all of his ministers scrambling in a power grab uh, up through his funeral. And I will say I, a blind spot for me is like Soviet era history and stuff. Cause really in high school and middle school and stuff, when you're doing history classes, you don't really get to that area. You usually stop at like right around world war two. At least, yeah. at least we did in mine. We we had like a modern history class, and I think like eleventh grade we did up through like the nineties. But we didn't really study anything of like actual Soviet history. It was just U.S. history during that time. So we we talked about some of these people, but I didn't know anything about what had happened in like the wake of Stalin's death. Right. Same. So I you know I know Khrushchev obviously he's a big name and I knew who Stalin was but everyone else I I, I had Wikipedia up at the same time like <laughs> looking up the names you're like okay this is who this guy is and this is who this guy is because I did not recognize any of the names. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was in the same boat. I, I recognized Khrushchev. I recognized Stalin. Uh, <laughs> I mean I know th- I know Molotov but I don't know if he's the one who came up with the cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's right. all i could think of every time they said his name uh and so the movie i think is really broken really focuses on uh the a power struggle between buscemi's character uh khrushchev and i don't know who played him but berea uh who was ahead of do you, were they called the N, nvsd it was basically like the kgb before the kgb it was like the secret service yeah, they were like the secret police. Yeah, and uh, it was their power struggle after the death of Stalin. So 
first off, this is a dark comedy, and do, do you think the jokes landed? I think a lot of them did. Yeah, I, think I, a, I agree. A lot of this was made, because this, this really is a really dark and terrible time in world history, and a lot of the lightheartedness and, and the comedy bits just come from Buscemi and Jeffrey Tambor and the, the other characters in the, the council just kind of being bumbling and jumping from one thing to another without really thinking about anything. And it's I, I think that that worked really well. Yeah, and for, like, here's an example of what we mean by, like, it being dark and, like, funny during a weirdly heavy time. Uh, the opening scenes are Stalin and his cabinet of people basically having a party and joking about, you know, World War Two and killing people. And then in the, and like, their hit list or whatever of going out and hunting people down. And then while every other scene is uh the soldiers actually going and pulling people from their homes and then uh at the end of all of this you know their buddy buddy uh Buscemi's character goes home and basically is telling his wife what jokes Stalin laughed at (laughs) so that he can remember what to say and what not to say like it's just such a weird time to be around a dictator like that and yeah and then as they're saying goodnight, Barrius says goodnight to the one side guy and says, uh, yeah, you know, goodbye forever, and then looks at the other guys and is like, he's on a list. Right. <laughs> one, of my, one of the parts I thought was hilarious, too, I guess, is during all... Well, this part wasn't hilarious, but, like, while all this is happening, Stalin had called a local uh, broadcasting station that had played a concert, and he was like, well, there's a whole thing about them trying to remember the the phone number, but he was like, "Give me, give me a recording of this," and they didn't record it. So they're they're rushing to get people in place because they're so scared that they're going to be killed if they don't get stalled in this recording. And so while they're also rounding up all these other people, they send like some guy to get the only maestro in the area because their <laughs> their guy like passed out and he thought he was getting arrested. And then it's just like, "Nope, come on, we're going here." So he's just like being marched out. <laughs> yeah, they're. The the blind panic on this those two guys that were operating the radio controls really set the whole tone for the movie. Could you imagine like living in a period or having a job where you literally feared for your life if you did not record something? Like it would be so stressful. Yeah, it would be unreal. Um, and really, I, I mean, the state of fear that song created, at least in this movie. Again, I don't know how accurate this is. Uh, led to his own death because he ends up having a, what was it, an aneurysm or a stroke? Yeah, he had, I, I think they said a cerebral hemorrhage. So I, yeah, I guess that's a stroke. So he, like, passes out, and no one checks on him for hours because, you know, no one wants to bug They're him. They're too afraid and to so, open the door. Right, so they don't find him until sometime the next morning, and by that time, like, the damage is done. That scene where they find him is wild. It goes on so long. When everyone so comes long. in the room? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everyone just kind of arrives individually, and they're they're all doing, they're all going through their practice of, you know, oh, I didn't want to move him. If, if he wants to be on the floor, that's where he wants to be. And, the, like, he, he's smarter than all of us, and everyone, like, the one person's like, he's unconscious, what are you doing? Right. I also, like, he basically, he, he urinates himself, and there, you know, pees everywhere. And... Normally, I'd be like, they are 
they're overdoing this, but everyone walked in and like knelt in the piano and was like, oh, and then like moved around. It was like somewhat of an understated joke. And when it, it happened like seven times, and I, I thought it got funnier each time. Yeah, so that's one of those weird, weird comedy bits where a lot of times a joke will be really funny the first time, and then every subsequent time you do it, it's it loses its its power. But this was absolutely one of those where every time it gets brought up, it's funnier. Yeah, and I don't because it's it's the exact opposite. Because the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, yeah it's kind of, like I get it, it's kind of funny. But then, like by the end, I was like, oh man, they, I don't know how this is working. Because the one guy's down there, they're getting ready to pick him up, and he's like, "Am I the only one down here kneeling in this right now?" <laughs> I was cracking up. I like when they actually carried. So I'm like, they had eight of them carrying a man, yep. and it's just like the whole pageantry of being proper. Like, oh man, he's heavier than I thought, and they're like watch your mouth and he's like no it's it's a good thing gold is heavy (laughs) (laughs) and buscemi was like using his feet as a battering ram to get through doors oh man when (laughs) there's one scene where he's like trying to direct people but he's using stalin's feet to direct and they're like stop using his feet to point things out (laughs) yeah so this this was absolutely like again what should have been it, like, if, if they would have made this a, a drama, this would have been an incredibly dark movie, but the the bumbling nature of all of these secretaries just made it so funny. Yeah. Uh, one thing that also made it really funny was Berea. The, he looked so much just like Dick Cheney in the face. He obviously was not, like, he was bigger, like, fatter than Dick Cheney, but, like, the makeup they had, I was seeing Dick Cheney. I definitely also see it. I, I did want to point out... I went on Wikipedia, like you had said, you had Wikipedia open, and a lot of these people, the casting is pretty good. Like, oh really? I didn't. Oh yeah, like I'm looking at some of their pictures. I I didn't look at the pictures. Jeffrey Tambor's character is almost spot on. Khrushchev is almost spot on. Molotov is almost spot on. Like they did a really good job with a lot of these. I mean, I also, I mean, so it sounds like they got good casting for people who are comedically talented and look like it. But I also generally just like the cinematography of like Soviet era Russia. It's such a weird thing where everything's very stark and uniform and concrete. But then also you have like the extravagance of like Stalin's areas and the palaces and everything. So it was, it it was, I thought it was really well shot. Yeah, agreed. And the late edition of Jason Isaacs, I thought, really really brought this to its pinnacle. Like, I, it, it was like he, I didn't know he was missing, and then as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, yes. Yes, that guy was awesome. Uh, Z- Zakov? Yes, I, I know it was a Z. Yeah, when he's like, I, the Jeffrey Tambor's like, I want to be able to talk to our general. And he's like, yeah, you'll get a chance to talk to him. And, and then they storm in with all the guns. He's like, so did you want to talk to him about something? And Jason Isaac's like, "Yeah, I mean, speak up if you got something to say. We're we're doing a coup here." Yeah, I would say like that dude also had a ton of medals <laughs> on his chest. And usually when they do that in movies, it's for like a comedic purpose to show like these are ridiculous. That dude seems like he deserved him. Like his first scene, he walk like he walks in and uh, is just brash. But then in the other scene, he like punches Stalin's son. In the nuts. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about the son and the daughter. Yeah, they were great. And the, the son's like, I gotta give a speech, and Brea's like, yeah, 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 go ahead, give a speech. He's like, we'll let him get, like, five minutes in, and then we'll make the jets fly overhead so nobody can hear him. 
Oh man, one of the my favorite scenes with this son was uh, <laughs> they're like doing an autopsy of Stalin in front of everyone for some reason, but his son just barges in and then gets angry. And it's this extended like minute fight scene of him and a guard just fighting over a gun. And it went way too long. But it's again one of those things where I thought yep. it was hilarious because it went so <laughs> He's long. He's screaming about like they're sending my dad's brain to, Amer- to America. <laughs> right. Oh, wild. I also really liked when they went to get the sun and everyone was talking about how the plane went down and killed the entire hockey team. And he's like, there was no plane crash. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Right. Oh, man. Some of these scenes in this are just so good. Uh another great one, at least for me, was um when they have like they convene a meeting of all the <laughs> I, I don't know the technical name of it, so I'm saying yeah. cabinet, but you know, all the leaders of the of the U- Soviet Union. And like just the stupid formalities that they're trying to follow and then like everyone not knowing if they can raise their hand and stuff during speeches, like I was just dying. That guy goes on that meandering speech where it's like stream of consciousness, like he's trying to work out a puzzle out loud with everybody in the room and he arrives at his point and he's like, Yeah, so all in favor. <laughs> yeah, man. That's so so on. So after Stalin dies, really the movie is about uh Buscemi slash Khrushchev navigating to oust uh, Berea's power play, um, which was interesting. I'd never heard of Berea before, and maybe <laughs> that's the point where, like, Buscemi at one point says, I will yeah. erase you from history. So, <laughs> What did you think of uh, Jeffrey Tambor? Oh, he was great. He played such a good, like, I never wanted to be in this position character. People keep having to remind him that he's in charge. I like that he basically looks for approval for everything he says. (laughs) It's like uh, they're using him to play telephone when they're standing guard of Stalin's Oh man, the scene at the funeral where Buscemi wants to switch places with Jeffrey Tambor and he's like, we can make it part of the ceremony. And he he does this kind of slow step-by-step march. He stands in front of Tambor he's like, what are you doing (laughs) truly had me cry and then he has to kind of slowly one step at a time go back to where he started <laughs> yeah and so I, we're pointing out a lot of funny stuff in this movie but like we you said like the dark undertones like the ending is oh yeah is pretty dark <laughs> like there's a kangaroo court like basically a uh, this man's murdered without really a, a good reason and just underscores like the stakes that the people at you know we're playing for like you could literally yeah i mean it's it certainly sounded like they had cause like if if there could have been a fair trial like he definitely would have been guilty but it also seemed like they were all just as bad right they were all maybe not to the extent that he was doing things but they were all you know turning people in helping murder civilians all that stuff like and I agree. Like Bria was out. Like seemed seemed like the worst. Yeah, of it's them. A, it's definitely a but, movie where, like, if you think about it, it feels weird to be rooting for anybody because, like, in reality, they were all pretty monstrous. Right. It's just like Bria was uh, pegged as the the villain for this narrative, but Khrushchev also uh, seemed like he had his fair share of. Uh, bad dealings and 
what is I think interesting is like you're right, like he was guilty of stuff, but he wasn't really uh they didn't do the coup against him and try him for those things. That was a justification yeah. to get him out of the way. I don't think they actually care That's what true. he was doing. This just it it makes me want to read up on like Soviet history because I I really don't know anything about this stuff. I 100% agree. I was like, oh, I should find a book to read about some of this. The hockey team in Russia used to be bad because of the <laughs> a plane crash. What? <laughs> When they said, find somebody to coach the new one to be as good as the old one or I'll kill them. (laughs) Oh my god. Wild. Okay, so, uh, do you know how this fared with critics? Really, really well, which I have no trouble believing, uh, as opposed to a lot of other things that (laughs) come across our way. Critics scored this at a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, audience at a 78 and that's that's not really surprising to me. Right, this does definitely seem like a, a a film critics would like, but you know, it is funny. Like I I'm not surprised audiences enjoyed it. I I'd put myself close to the audience score, but yeah, it's it's a solid movie. Yeah, same. I I guess the the only caveat is I think like we had said with all dark comedies, you do have to you have to be in the mood for this and you have to enjoy this genre of of movie otherwise it's probably not going to be your right and i don't know if this is one you can jump in like halfway through i feel like you gotta start it from the beginning oh yeah for sure um, budget wise in versus box office it did pretty well too it only had a 13 million dollar budget in box office it made 24.6 which i'm, I'm actually kind of surprised it made that much at the box office yeah i mean this came out in 2017 like i said i really thought it was it was a lot newer than that not that that's really that old but i had no memory of this even getting released so it must have been pretty limited so to make almost double its budget back on a limited release is pretty solid uh, would you recommend our audience check this out uh yeah i think i would but I, I mean keeping in mind all the caveats that we've already said i i really like this movie same i would again i'd say check it out if you are in the mood for this type of movie it's it's very funny Christian, this week you watched The Outer Banks, which is a series on Netflix. What is this about? So this is a typical, like, teen kind of show. Like, think Riverdale or, I I mean, I I don't really watch a lot of teen shows, but it's, it's what you picture when you think of, like, high school kids on the beach getting into trouble everything's much more exaggerated and serious than it is in real life and everybody's very dumb uh would the oc be part of that yes definitely (laughs) so this this is a typical teen show but with buried treasure involved every one of these shows has to have a, a a little um a little gimmick riverdale i think is doing all the gimmicks all at once but this one is is doing basically there's sunken treasure somewhere off the coast of the outer banks of north carolina and these kids that live there are trying to find it while at the same time getting pursued by all the other people who are trying to find it uh is so this is a newer thing uh is there any big names in this none at all okay i wouldn't think so especially for shows like this but 
I'm always curious. So you said this takes place in the uh, Outer Banks of North Carolina. They're hunting for gold. Like, did they find a treasure map? So the main character who goes by John B., which is uh, frustrating to have to hear John B. over and over and over again instead of just John. Um, But his dad had basically devoted his life to finding a sunken ship that had been transporting British gold on it called the Royal Merchant and he mysteriously disappeared like three years ago and then something happens that kind of catapults these kids into like picking up the dad's mantle and carrying on his work Hmm. when you say they're kids I'm curious what age are they supposed to be portraying and what age do they actually look like oh god yeah so it takes place during like summer break i guess so it's never really established strongly that they're high school kids but they're definitely supposed to be like juniors i think so they're like 16 and 17 they look like they're in their mid to late 20s and i think most of them actually are i never got why shows did this like it always creates like such an inflated view of what high schoolers should look like to to like the audience that's watching it. Yeah, it's very weird because it's like I said, it's not hard established since they don't have to go to class over the summer. But then, like, yeah, randomly they'll get a thing about like, remember last year in tenth grade, and I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> you mean a decade? Yeah, <laughs> there's there's the one girl's little sister is puttering around, and she looks like she's like eighteen. And she's hitting on the sister's boyfriend like crazy for most of the show. And then at one point, she gets offered weed, and she's like, why are you offering weed to a 13-year-old? And I was like, no. (laughs) It's in, like, the eighth episode that that happens, and my jaw hit the floor. You work, like, with the public pretty often. I'm guessing your workforce is younger. Have you seen, like... 17 and 8 year olds now like when i see them i'm like oh my gosh you look like a literal child (laughs) and it's just like crazy because no one on tv looks like that no except uh in american vandal (laughs) (laughs) american vandal yeah so this this is everybody's very dumb in this movie i mean maybe it just bugs me because they are high schoolers and maybe they're genuinely even though if they don't look like it maybe they're genuinely acting like it because high schoolers are pretty dumb i mean i i sure was (laughs) uh but even like the cops and the criminals in this are are crazy and i think it's that way in a lot of these kind of teeny shows where nobody does anything for any good reason it's just like this is what needs to happen to advance the plot so we're gonna do it because i said so uh, so I, I spent a lot of time screaming at the TV. People get locked in like laundry rooms that could just easily be kicked open. You, like a kick with even the sm- slightest amount of determination is going to knock open just an internal door in a house. And this kid gets stuck in there for like three hours. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And it goes fully off the rails in the last like three or four episodes. It's only one season on right now. And it's only 10 episodes. I definitely watched it in one sitting because I got fully sucked into it. And yeah, the the back half of this first season is absolutely crazy. 
So you you got sucked into it, and on these shows, I, this isn't one of my like guilty pleasures or whatever. But like, when you finish watching it, are you just like, "What did I just do with my life?" Or are you like, "Yes, <laughs> I'm all in on this." A little of both. <laughs> uh, the "What did I just do?" has a lot to do with the fact that I watched it from like seven a.m. to or from like seven p.m. to four a.m. So I have a lot of time when I should have been sleeping doing this instead, and then I'm like, "Why?" Uh, but at the end of this, there, there are a lot of things that do not get tied up neatly. Like, there's a lot of loose ends. The bad guys kind of get away with it a little bit. And so you're, you're left, I, I'm, at least I was left saying like, man, this just came out and I burned through it and I want season two quickly because I need to see what happens to these crazy kids. Do you think the show has longevity past season two? Like, is the narrative that strong, or is this something that you could see yourself getting tired of because the characters are not going to really evolve? I mean, I don't know that the narrative was strong enough to sustain a season one. <laughs> no, I, that's I, that's not really true. I did get fully sucked into it, so I guess I can't talk too much trash about it. Um, I don't know how much further it could go after season two, but I look at a lot of these other teen shows, and, like, the OC went for... I don't even know how long. I feel like it was like seven years. I, dude, I felt like that too, but I think it was actually surprisingly short. <laughs> it's one of those that you never actually know how long it lasted. Um, well, I know I only watched like one episode when I was in college or something because people put it on. Uh, it went from 2013 to yeah. I was just gonna say Google says so four, four seasons. So still, I mean the the main the the treasure is like set dressing essentially it's it's what drives all the characters forward but you watch this for the relationships you watch this for the like how the friends are gonna have their dynamic and who's gonna get paired up with who at the end of this and so as long as they can keep that alive everything else is kind of secondary the show can sustain itself do you know how critics are uh, evaluating <laughs> this yeah shocking uh the critic score has this at 70 percent and when I clicked on a button that, that isolates just top critics, it goes up to 80%, which I couldn't believe. Uh, audience has this... How many, do, you, do you know how many people actually have, have, have put in reviews? It says there's 20 critics and 5 top critics, so 4, four fresh ratings and 1 rotten. But the, the audience score there is 463 ratings, and they have it at an 87%. That's pretty generous. I did get sucked in but it's I still wouldn't necessarily call it good. Yeah, I mean I guess you have the hardest fans are the ones who are going to go yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes I guess and rate it. So as long as it wasn't something that someone absolutely <laughs> just hated. But yeah, that's surprising that that has such yeah. a high score. I mean it was it was definitely watchable. It's obviously bingeable, but there's nothing really special about this show, but it makes you like it anyway. Would you classify it as, like, uh, TV junk food? Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. You just put <laughs> something on and be mindless, and, man, I hope these kids find this treasure. <laughs> it's like the, the Goonies grow yeah. up. But less diverse. <laughs> I actually have no idea what their cast it's, is. It's not bad, actually. <laughs> <I didn't>... Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh. All 
All right, Christian, I have been binge-watching Ballers in my free time uh, well, I, uh, the past couple, I guess the past week, really. Uh, I'm three and a half seasons in, and I got to say, I, like, start out, I don't, I wouldn't say the show's good, but I, <laughs> the first season, like, I thought it was enjoyable, and it has progressively, like, gone downhill. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised I told you about it. You said you watched it. I watched, yeah, I, I watched two seasons and a couple episodes of season three, and I got away from it for one reason or another, but I do remember enjoying what I watched. I just like The Rock, and I like Rob Corddry. Right, like, the, the draw of this is The Rock and Rob Corddry star in it, and they are very likable and well, i don't know if likable is the right term they're very entertaining in the first <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the rock's likable rob cordry not maybe so much and you know and that's why i think i i don't like the series as it goes on because each season they make the rock less and less likable which i guess makes sense for like a person they're giving him more dynamics but it's like season two we find out he had issues with <laughs> So Eddie George in real life actually had financial issues after leaving the NFL and they wrote into the storyline that the rocks character was the reason for Eddie George's financial issues. <laughs> um, and so he becomes less and less likable because at the very first episode, he's like for the players, he's trying to watch their interests and stuff. And then by like season three, they don't even really talk about the players that much. And He's trying to move this like an NFL team to Las Vegas for his own pride. And then in season four, they don't even talk about the NFL really at all. Like they're talking about action sports. <laughs> yeah. So it I, goes in a, a weird direction. I kept telling myself that if I got HBO Max in, in the next couple months, maybe I would try to get back into ballers, but maybe I got out when the, the getting was good. It's like, it's hard to say. It's one of those where there's only, you know, 10 episodes or 30 minutes each. So it's easy enough to have on on the background. But I don't think the writing is particularly strong. <laughs> strong. And I I, I was like looking at some stuff online and I, I think a couple people accurately described it. Like this is lifestyle porn. Like it's really nice cars, really nice houses, rich people doing stuff. Like that's what it feels like. It's entourage mixed with billions oh yeah absolutely and that's that's how i saw this described when it first came on was basically it's entourage but for sports right and i never watched a ton of entourage i didn't like it that much for the couple episodes <laughs> i saw but i i do like this one better i think i and, and honestly i just think it's like the rock and cordry is the only reason i'm gonna be honest when i moved back home a few years ago before i moved into the place i'm in now i watched all of entourage Really? Yeah, I went through the entire show. It was like just in time for when the movie came out, so I watched the movie. I was all pumped up. I really like Entourage. <laughs> I'm surprised, man. I would not peg you as an... The only people I know who really like Entourage <laughs> are my brother-in-law's brother and my old roommate, who are two very different people. <laughs> I think they liked it for two very different reasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was just where I was in my life at that point, but I got, I got fully into Entourage. I really... <laughs> really enjoyed the ride that i was on did you like the entourage movie because i heard that was horrible it was not very good <laughs> i mean what it, it wanted to be was just basically like a two and a half hour episode of the show and that's not what a movie should be <laughs> right 
Well, that's that's kind of my problem with this is like the plot is just so meandering and every episode is just like a problem of the week of them trying to solve and a lot of the times it's like of their own making. I do remember that being very frustrating. Like it, it's been a couple of years since I watched Ballers and that that is one of the things that frustrated me the most was just having to watch these characters screw up over and over and over again. Especially yeah. Rob Corddry's character, at least in the first season. Yeah, he... In- What's also weird as the show has progressed is the first season very much focuses on football. Ricky Jarrett is a stand-in for like a diva receiver like a Chad Ochocinco or, uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, whatever. This was 2016, so I guess I don't know who partic- who they were <laughs> focusing on at that point. Uh, you have Charles, who's basically a retired lineman at that point, And then you have Vernon, who is an up-and-coming star defensive player. And in the first season, it works so well. And then after that, they start getting more and more out there. And they, like, half-heartedly touch on serious subjects. Like, The Rock has a CTE scare, but they resolve... Like, it doesn't have any sort of satisfactory resolve. It's just, like, you don't have... He's like, oh, thank God. And then they drop it. So it's like, this is here, but because we're partnered so closely with the NFL on this and, you know, Roger J. Goodell appears in it and so many different people from around the league... Like, we can't actually have real criticism of it, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what movie it was I was watching a review for, but they basically said, like, I want to have impactful moments but not have to deal with the impact of any of those consequences, so we're just going to undo them as as soon as they happen. Are you talking about an NFL movie or just a movie in general? No, it was just a movie in general. But that's that's what this feels like, basically, is they want to have these serious conversations, but they can't actually have them in any real way or the nfl would have to take like a strong look at itself right which was actually kind of surprising to me the season three storyline about them moving the team from uh um oakland to las vegas because they had like one character come on who's basically a bad guy and she represented the league and I'm wondering if they're getting further away from the NFL, and that's why season four they don't really touch with the NFL at all. Like the NFL is like, eh, we're tired of dealing with this or whatever. They um, they moved them from Oakland in the show. Yeah, they did that in 2017, and honestly, Christian, I can't remember the timeline of when that actually happened. Like I don't that's know. That's what if I was just thinking. Currently, did they predict right. the future, <laughs> or did the NFL like slip them a tip? So I will say I know back in 2016 uh, when I was doing my original podcast, uh, me and my buddy did a show on the Oakland move because um, because he was a Raiders fan and we're like, oh, they were openly talking about moving at that point and we we're like, who do you want them to move to or whatever or something like that. So I know in 2016 they were at least talking about it. Okay. I don't know if they had decided – on Las Vegas on that point or not. Because I was, so. yeah, I was getting ready to say like, oh, Ballers kind of predicted the future a little bit since Vegas has a team that moved from Oakland now. But man, yeah, if they if they called it where they came from and where they went to, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, my guess is it happened around the period where there was like a lot of substantiated rumors, you yeah. know, like it was, it was no secret Oakland wanted out. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember the exact timeline on when Las Vegas was announced and especially too, because um, 
right around that same time, San Diego moved up to LA as well. So that was like, like all that kind of gets jumbled together in my mind. Yeah, the LA one is the one that I remembered the the most. I I was talking to my brother, I think, and I actually had to remind myself that Vegas had a team though. Well, that's because I don't think, and I I, I might be wrong because I didn't watch too much football last year because I don't cable anymore. I I think there was last. It's either last year or this year was a, is officially they're moving to Vegas. So that that also might be why. I'm looking on Wikipedia here, and season three premiered. July 20th, 2017, and the announcement was made on March 27th, 2017. Is when the, well, that's when okay, the so NFL approved the move. So maybe maybe they were just dealing with... It maybe hadn't been officially announced when they were writing it, but it had already been approved, so it was like they knew it was coming. Right. Yeah, and it, this show doesn't seem like it takes too long to film, Yeah, you so. wouldn't think. Uh, I am so one one thing I will say about this show that is so weird is like this this is very much like a guy show like I don't think women would (laughs) like this show especially because like women don't really have any roles in this yeah they're definitely relegated to like secondary characters there are at least from the episodes I watched there are really no primary female characters in Ballers right the only female characters are either spouses or love interests, eye candy, or in season three, the main protagonist is someone that The Rock insulted on a show because she was like, this was when they were dealing with um, new tackling rules to, for to help with concussions. And he basically, you know, downplayed her because she was a woman and said, you never played the game, blah, blah, blah. And then she becomes like the villain <laughs> of the season. So this is definitely like... Uh, geared towards men I think in much the same way that Entourage would have been right like it is it is it's it's very much like you're watching this and you're like I want to make moves like (laughs) these guys Uh, overall it's it's like hard to say if I I would recommend this in the way that I, I said would you describe Outer Banks as junk food I would describe this as junk food as well like it's mindless. It's easy to put on. You don't really have to pay attention. R- the Rock and Cordry are awesome. Like they're they're funny. Uh, even the side characters, the football players, the guy who plays Ricky is uh, Denzel's son, mm-hmm. I think. And you know everyone's relatively funny in it, but it's just nothing really happens. There's no real plot. It's about like successful people becoming more <laughs> successful and dealing with first world problems that they create. You know, like. So it's 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 fun, but you know it's not something you need to watch right now. It's if it's on, yeah, just check it out. You'll be able to tell within five minutes if you you like the. Oh yeah, the for sure. There are no deeper layers to it than that. No, and I would definitely say like the first season. Yeah, the best agreed. Season. At least of what I saw. Yeah, I I think I I would rank it so far first season best, second season second best. I like the fourth season better than the third season. I hated the Oakland storyline. It made no sense. <laughs> At least again in the fourth season, they're dealing with clients again, but it's just like action yeah. sports clients. All right, guys, now it's time for our Amazon review game. 
Uh, before we start, just a quick recap. I have three Amazon reviews, uh, three five-star Amazon reviews for a movie. I will read one of them. Christian will have two yes or no questions to help narrow down what the movie is. He can then ask for a second review, two more yes or no questions. He can ask for a third review, two more questions, then he has to guess. We are keeping score this year, and if Christian gets it in one review, he gets three points, two points for two reviews, one point for three reviews. Christian, are you ready? I'm ready. Do you like old kung fu movies? Are you sick of subscriptions to magazines you don't need? Did you get the memo about how good this movie is? Do you realize everything in this movie happens every day all around you? Jump to the right conclusions already and buy this flick. Velocipaster. <laughs> you just want to get go for it? <laughs> no. <okay. laughs> uh, I, I heard kung fu and I just I, I made a leap. Um... Hmm. Did this movie come out in the 90s? Yes. I Hold on, let me check. I am almost positive it came out in the 90s. Yes. Does this movie star Jackie Chan? No. Then I'm going to need another one. All right, review number two. Hello, Amazon reviewers. What's happening? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask that you like this movie because it is a great hate working in the office environment. I bought this wanting to relive the memories this gem holds, and I love every second of it. For those of you who have had their own swing line stapler stolen, you should see this. So if you mm-hmm. can just go ahead and buy now, that'll be great. Thanks a lot, everybody. Ooh, office space. Yes. I was just thinking about this movie the other day. I So the first one, I know like he's a big fan of like Kung Fu movies. It's like subtle references, but I was like, I don't know if that'll be too hard or not. Yeah, I was just thinking about this the other day because uh, Ron Livingston is uh, in the first Conjuring movie, and he's the main guy in Office Space. Oh, really? And I stared at him for like an hour of that movie going like, I know I know him from something. <laughs> Space is so good. It really is. I haven't seen it in ages. Yeah, I it used to be like on County Central, and I would watch it on like Sundays because they would play it every Sunday, or you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Along with all the Van Wilders. <laughs> Man, I used to be obsessed with the first Van Wilder. I probably still have it on DVD somewhere. <laughs> Okay, Christian, before we head out, what are you going to be checking out this week? Uh, well, it's, it's hard to say. I always make a plan, and then I end up watching a show like Outer Banks in one sitting. So, <laughs> uh, Avatar The Last Airbender came to Netflix this past week, and so I've been kind of picking here and there. I, I think I'm just, at this point, committed to watching season three at the very least. So I'm probably going to be watching that on and off. Uh, I'm still working my way slowly through Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, and I'm I watched two of the three Annabelles last night actually, so I'll probably finish that whole Conjuring saga this week as well. There's only I've only got one Annabelle and Curse of La Llorona, which I've already seen. Nice. Uh, this week I am definitely going to finish Rage Two. I am like. 80% done. I just got to do a couple grindy things where I have to go and find some cars and stuff. So I'm excited to finish that. Um, 
I'm going to continue just finishing up Ballers. I'll probably finish that tomorrow or the day after. Probably won't talk about it again, though, unless, like, <laughs> Season 5 is groundbreaking. <laughs> and then I'm actually really excited. I got my Patrix so on a bit of a spending spree. I got Doom Eternal, and I got Final Fantasy Seven. So oh, I'm nice. going to be playing one of those once I'm done with the Rage. I'm, I'm really excited. And... I am actually really, really excited about this because they were never in stock. Is I ordered the Oculus Quest, and I'm supposed to get it Wednesday. And that's the um, it's the VR headset that doesn't have cords. So I'm really excited to try out VR for the first time. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for checking out our episode. If you would like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us. We are gambots.blog at gmail.com. We also have a website now, gambotsnetwork.com, where we put up some articles on movies either we talk about on the show or movies we don't actually get a chance to, or not just movies, but, you know, movies, television, books, games, whatever. Uh, Otherwise, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you. Thank you.